Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Daphne. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Uh, coming from far and wide, all over the world today, we have people from Sunshine Coast. I mean, goodness me, isn't that wonderful? It's great having you with us. <laughs> great having you with us. Uh, just a heads up, first of all, for next week. Um, we have a special guest here next week. Ellen O'Brien will be here. Uh, really, really, really looking forward to what she has to bring uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, she's going to be coming to talk about women in leadership. Uh, and it was something that uh, I felt very strongly about that I, I have views and I can probably preach it, but Ellen could talk and preach and teach it far, far better with a lot more integrity than I can. So uh, Ellen's coming next Sunday. There will be a time during the service where... We could have some questions and answers and, and that sort of thing. So please, please, please make every effort you can to come next week and hear Ellen uh, speak to us. All right, so let me ask you a question right off the bat. What do the following have in common? Bono. The second advent candle, legalism, spin class, the love of money, Elvis, godliness, freedom, and a baby in a manger. What do these all have in common? What ties all these things together? Well, no. What ties them all together is this sermon. I'm going to be all over the shop this morning, uh, you will need to have your best listening head on, and I want you to stay with me, because we are going to meander our way through two scripture passages, candles, exercise classes, Irish rock legends, from the king of rock to the king of kings. But here's where I hope we're going to end up. I want to end up by pointing us to where you and I can find what so many of us are looking for in our lives here right now. We're in 1 Timothy, and we're making our way through a letter written by Granddad Paul to young whippersnapper Timothy. Timothy's a pastor of a church in Ephesus that's in a bit of a mess and the young guy, the young pastor, wants out. He's had enough. Auf Zane. But Paul is desperate for him to stay and clean things up. Why? Because Paul says the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. The good news of Jesus was being distorted. 
And instead of people knowing the joy and the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus, they were being led astray into a miserable life of meaningless, unimportant conspiracy theories, false teaching, fighting, and do's and don'ts. And Paul's saying, Tim, my boy, hang, he was a good Jewish guy, hang in there. Don't give up. And let me help you bring people back to the true message of Jesus and how to do church well. And so Paul writes this letter. And last week you remember that Paul is saying that some people in the church are thrusting legalism in the face of believers. Legalism. Tick, bing. One down. They were saying it's not about love. It's about laws. To be a good follower of Jesus, you need to keep all the rules. Make sure you aren't partaking in those evil activities such as marriage and eating vegetables. You know, don't get married. And if you do, make sure you only have sex with a paper bag over your head thinking about bacon and eggs. And don't eat certain foods because Brussels sprouts are from the devil. Now, I want you to know that I'm actually, I'm actually filling in the blanks here. It doesn't actually say that in Scripture. Someone came up to me at the end last week and said, oh, I'm glad you said that about Brussels sprouts. They are evil, aren't they? I hate them. I said, well, no, it's not actually in Scripture. It's just me filling in the blanks. So Paul's saying, don't get dragged down the road of legalism and law and rules. Why? Because it distorts the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that you and I can know freedom. Freedom. down. Jesus has set us free. Free from the law. Free from being dragged down by trying to keep all the rules. And that was the wonderful message that we heard last week. We're free. And I know many of us went away thinking, Yahoo! Great! Trevor says that now we're a Christian, we're free and we can do whatever we want to do. Time to party. Break out the funky mushrooms, the Brussels sprouts, and Pink Floyd. (laughs) Well, hang on. Whoa! We'll see. Is that what freedom in Christ is all about? We can do whatever we want to do. Well, let's read on from where we ended last week. Just want to read a couple of verses in chapter 4, and then I'm going to read some verses in chapter 6 a bit later on, but we'll get there. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. So this is following on from, uh, from what Paul was saying last week. He's saying to Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, that is, don't go down the road of legalism, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. 
have nothing to do with godless myths uh, and old wives' tale. Yes, Paul, you tell them. We want to be free. Rather, oh, train yourself to be godly. Oh, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul says, don't get tied down with the laws and rules, but strive for what? Godliness. Bing! Dick. Godliness. What is that? What does it mean when you call someone a godly person? Well, put simply, godliness is living a fruitful, Christ-centered, Christ-focused life. It's taking what we believe about Jesus and putting it into action. A godly person is one who allows the Holy Spirit to work in their lives to produce good fruits, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Godliness is to follow and imitate Jesus Christ. That is what we're called to strive for. That's what we are called to live for. That is our goal. And we are set free from the law to do that. But how do we get there? How do we get to godliness? Well, maybe what we do is we go to bed at night and pray really, 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 really hard that we'll wake up in the morning a godly person. And so what happens is in the morning you wake up and you look in the mirror and you've changed into Phil. The picture of godliness. Praise God. (laughs) No. That unfortunately or perhaps fortunately is not how godliness occurs. Paul tells us how in verse 7. He says, train yourself. Train yourself in godliness. You have to exercise. Paul says, you have to go to spin class. Spin class. (laughs) Bing, tick. Well, not exactly. Paul says it's good to exercise your body. It says, for physical training is of some value. It's good to go to spin class, but it's better to train in godliness. The word train in the original Greek is gumnadzo. Gumnadzo. And it's a transliteration from which we get our English word, gymnasium. The meaning is to train in a gymnastic discipline, to exercise vigorously. So to train in godliness takes effort. 
just like spin class. It doesn't just happen. You know, I don't just turn up. Me and Linda go to spin class every Friday night. That's the only exercise we ever do. And it doesn't, I don't just turn up, sit on the bike, press a button, and all of a sudden the pedals start to go. And so what you're doing, you just put your feet on the pedals and you're sitting there and say, oh, this is good. Oh, an hour goes by. And you think, wow, I'm really exercising. No, you have to put effort into it. Sometimes, quite often for me, you have to push through the pain. And it's the same for godliness. But here's the good news. You have someone who encourages you, who pushes you, who comforts you along the way to godliness. In spin class, that's Sharla, our spin teacher. But in a life following Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. I know Sharla sometimes listens to my sermon, so I've compared you to the Holy Spirit now. (laughs) Go easy on me next week. So, yeah. <laughs> so you get the picture. Paul is saying, exercise vigorously your spirit and your mind to move towards and produce godliness. To live a godly life. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, by doing all those things we learned about at the beginning of the year. Do you remember this? The spiritual disciplines, learning to pray by spending time in the presence of God. We did that on Wednesday. That was wonderful. Our praise and prayer night where we came and just sat in the presence of God and prayed. It's part of the spiritual discipline. By uh, reading and studying God's Word, which hopefully we do at least once a week here. Hopefully we do it more than that. By acts of kindness and service, which happens unbeknown to many of us through many of you during the week. But it's, it's more than that. More than just going through the motions. Here's what Paul writes uh, to another church, a church in Philippi. He says this, uh, if we want to be disciples who are moving towards godliness, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Train yourself to do that. But hang on a minute. Isn't that just like legalism? You know, don't do this, don't watch that, don't listen to this. Well, no, because it's all about the motive. Are you doing this? Are you keeping your mind on good and pure things because of a desire just to keep the rules? Or because you want to grow in a relationship? You know, relationships are good. They are good. Marriage is good. But let's be honest, they're hard. It's difficult being married sometimes. And at first, it's lovely, isn't it? You've got the lovey-dovey and the romance and everything's perfect. And then you start noticing the flaws, don't you? 
and the top off the toothpaste and the socks on the floor and the letting out of certain gases at inappropriate times. Now, here's what you could do in a marriage. You could sit down, both of you, and lay out a list of rules for your marriage. Don't leave your socks on the floor. Do put the top on the toothpaste. And you could make a big, long list, and you can stick them on the fridge. And you say, don't you dare do any of those things. You could do that. But how's that going to work out? Can I suggest that it would not work out well? Why? Because of the motivation. You see, you're motivated by fear. I've got to keep the rules. I've got to do this. Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. But if you truly love that person, you care deeply for that person, and that person cares deeply for you, you'll want to be the best person you can be in that relationship. So the motivation isn't law, it's love, isn't it? And it's the same in our relationship with Jesus. We want to grow in our relationship with him. We want to follow him. We believe that this is the way we should live uh, our life this way. We love him because of what he's done for us and because he loves us. And so what we do then, we foster godliness in our lives. We think of all the good things, the noble things, the pure things. Like we have choices to make. We could do this or do that. You know what? I want to do this because I love Jesus and he loves me. It's motivated by love. So this is how we can train for godliness, by fostering our relationship with Jesus through prayer. Spending time reading about him, doing acts of service in his name, exposing our mind and bodies to good, wholesome food. But, I believe we can move towards godliness to live a godly life by seeking the second Advent candle. Bing! Back in 1987, a song was released from an album called The Joshua Tree. It was sung by a young Irish guy with a funny name that sounded like dog food and his band, Bono. Oh, bing, bing. The song title was, I Still Haven't Found what I'm looking for. And it became an anthem for a a time and a generation that were basically dissatisfied with life, dissatisfied with their pursuit of power and money, dissatisfied with the mantra of the yuppie crowd. Live to the excess, live for yourself, and you'll find happiness. Here's some of the lyrics. I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled 
these city walls. These city walls only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 32 years later, I wonder if this song still resonates. What is it that people then and people now are searching for? What are they climbing over walls and up mountains and running through fields to find? Well, can I suggest they and you and I are searching for what the second Advent candle represents? Peace. As defined by the Hebrew word shalom, which means more than just quiet. It means more than just a a cessation of conflict. It means everything being just so. Everything being in line with God and God's kingdom and God's creation. That sense of ultimate well-being. That all is well with my soul. Another word would be contentment. We're all searching for contentment. What's that got to do (laughs) with our quest for godliness? Well, here's our second scripture passage. Paul writes this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of of evil. Do you see the link here? Godly people are content people. If we find true peace and contentment, we'll be able to live the Christ-centered, Christ-focused, godly life. As Paul says, it's a great gain. Godliness and contentment, it's it's win-win. But how do we find contentment? Well, as Paul suggests here, that we try to find it in all sorts of ways. Some of us try to find it by the acclamation of of things. Here's a few facts for you. A typical grocery store in North America in 1976 stocked 9,000 items. Today, that same market carries 40 thousand different items more choices for people that want more things the average north american adult receives 32 credit card offers a year regardless of their credit history and the average north american has four major credit cards with an average total credit card debt of nine thousand dollars more spending For people that want more things. And yet, we still struggle 
with contentment. Think about advertising. Yeah, advertising is selling a product, but ultimately it's trying to sell you contentment. That's the whole point of advertising. Think about the adverts you see, especially car commercials. How many of those car commercials talk about, you know, the sort of engine it has or anything like that? No. You see the happy family driving off, kids smiling in the background. It's amazing. Selling contentment. Digital marketing experts estimate that most North Americans, I can't believe this, are exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements each day. Each day. TV, billboards, social media. And most promise and promote contentment. Advertising is trying to create a need. Or maybe to create a discontentment. You're discontent with your car. You're discontent with your breakfast cereal, your shampoo. That's why so many of us spend money we don't have to buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. And then what happens is you don't actually use the stuff. So you have to get a storage locker somewhere to put all the junk in you don't need and you don't use, but you had to get because some marketing person was so good at their job that they created a need where you don't have a need. We're running. We're scaling. We're climbing. We're accumulating, but we still haven't found what we're looking for. The most toured home in the United States is the White House. Does anyone know where the second most toured home in America is? Ah, the second most toured home in America is in Memphis, Tennessee. It's the 23-room home of the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Ooh, Elvis. Bing, bing. Graceland is toured by hundreds of people every day. $15 million a year is brought in by those visiting and looking at the cars, the clothes, the airplanes, the records. Few people in his time made as much money as quickly as he did. Elvis seemed to have it all, but most of us know how his story ended. In fact, if you go 50 yards from the back door of Graceland, you'll find a tombstone. August 16th, 1977. Just 42 years old. Died of overdose of pills and had depression. He had as much as anybody in his time, and perhaps the most profound thing he ever said was this I would give a million dollars for just one day of peace. It appears that he never found what he was looking for. So the accumulation of things doesn't bring contentment. As Paul says in verse 7, he says, don't, don't try to find contentment in things because you actually you came into the world with nothing. And guess what? You're going out with nothing. 
Do you remember how this whole thing called life started? Every one of us started life as a little wrinkly, naked, bloody, yucky person. True. When we arrived on the scene, we had nothing. Zip, zilch, nada. No nice clothes, no diamond earrings, no laptop, no cell phone. And as the old saying goes, you can't take it with you. When it's all said and done, you'll, you'll be right back where you started and, and you won't actually have anything. There was a man who worked all of his life, saved up all his money, and he was a real miser when it came to money. He loved money more than anything else. And just before he, he died, he said to his wife, now listen, when I die, I want you to take all of my money and place it in the casket with me. I want to take all my money to the afterlife. So he got his wife to promise him with all her heart that when he died, she'd put all the money in the casket with him. Well, one day he died. He was stretched out in the casket. The wife was sitting there at the funeral in, in black next to her closest friend. And when they finished the ceremony, just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket, the wife jumped up and shouted, hang on a minute, wait. And she had this big shoebox. And she placed it inside the casket. And then the undertakers locked the casket down and took it away. And her friend said, I hope you weren't crazy enough to put all of his money in there. And she said, well, yeah, I promised. I'm a good Christian woman and I can't lie. I, I promised him that I was going to put all that money, all of his money in his casket with him. You mean to tell me you put every cent of his money in the casket with him? I sure did, said the wife. I got it all together, put it into my account, and I wrote him a check. <laughs> you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Paul says, just be content with the food and clothes that you have. You see what happens perversely. The more we have, the more we want, and the more stressed we become. Some people have so much clothing that they sit there in the morning just looking at them saying, I don't know what to wear. Shall I wear the red shirt, the green shirt, the blue shirt? I don't know. So many. You know what? You're fine. You've got clothes, right? It, you're covering most of the vital organs. You're, you're okay. You're fine. <laughs> Just calm down. And food. Food. There are some places where people starve to death. We eat to death. Our biggest problem is we just keep eating and we have so much choice. Some people get up in the morning, they, have, they go and have breakfast and they're freaking out. They're looking at the cereals, all 27 kinds. I don't know, do I want, do, I don't know, do I want bran flakes, corn pops, wheat a bit, shredded wheat, muesli, cocoa pops, mini wheats, what do I want? Ah! This is too much. And Paul says... Just get some pants on, have your frosted flakes, and praise God. Be 
contend. Then Paul goes on to say, don't get tempted into thinking that contentment can be bought. This leads people away from God, he says. You know, those who try to become rich. And then he says, the root of so much evil, so much discontent comes from what? The love of money. Notice that Paul isn't saying money is the problem. It's the love of money. You see, ultimately, it's not about the money. It's not about the marketing. It's not about the advertising. The problem's not at the mall. The problem's not in the credit card. The problem's not in the bank account. The problem is in you and me. It's actually in our hearts. It's all about the heart and what we desire to find contentment. I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields. I've crawled. I've scaled city walls. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So where do we find the contentment, the peace, the shalom for our souls that will lead us down the path to godliness. Well, we need to go to a stable where a baby lies in a manger. This baby, in all his humility and innocence, is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and... The Prince of Peace. This baby, Emmanuel, God with us, came into the world to show us what love and life is really all about. To show us that contentment isn't found in things or money or circumstances, but it's found in love. The unconditional love of a father. 1 John 4 tells us that God is Love, pure, unadulterated love. But not only is God love, God loves. And if you know that, know that deep in your very being, that you, then you don't need to be searching for your identity in your job, or in your stuff, or in your income. You can find your value, your dignity, your worth, and dare I say your contentment in the fact that you're loved. No matter how much you make, you can't buy the love of God. No matter how hard you work, you can't earn the love of God. No matter how much you possess, you cannot Possess the love of God. It's a gift that is given to you and me. You see, we can go through life, we can climb mountains and run fields and scale city walls, we could try legalism and exercise and become famous and make money. But the peace and contentment we long for 
is only found in the form of a baby in a manger. Find this and you'll find the godly life that you were born to live. Let's pray. I know that many, many of us here this morning are searching for peace, true peace, true contentment, peace in spite of our circumstances, maybe peace in spite of our job or our bank account. searching and longing for that contentment. Well, can I suggest that maybe you and I have been looking in the wrong places? And this Advent season, we need to go again to the stable and bow down at the manger where the Prince of Peace Because that is the only place we will, get, we will find true contentment. Father, I pray for those of us here this morning that are anxious, that are fearful, that are discontent with our lives. Father, would you come this morning and remind us where we will find true peace? Would you come to us and fill us with your love once more? Help us to really know deep down that we are loved by you unconditionally. And as we understand that, Lord, would you change our lives? Would you change our outlook on life? Would you change our perspective on life and see it through your eyes? Thank you, Jesus.